0: Terry and I felt it would be good during some time in the year for us to have an opportunity to... For it's nearly even. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning while he, were, uh, uh, sorry, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, "It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon." Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, were st- while, they were st- while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broad fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God bless to us that reading of his holy word. So we're looking at being what the Baptists are and we're looking today at the fact that we are A missionary community. A missionary community. Back in the 1950s, an English school teacher was looking for a room in Switzerland. She called upon the local schoolmaster to help her find an apartment that would be suitable to her needs. And so rooms were found, and she returned to London to to gather her belongings. Then she remembered that she had not seen a toilet in that apartment or being rather proper, a water closet, a WC. And so she wrote to the schoolmaster asking if there was a WC in her apartment, or at least near the flat. The schoolmaster, being Swiss, was uh, quite puzzled by this term, WC, and so sought advice from a local parish church who also spoke good English, and he concluded with the schoolmaster that she must be quite religious. And therefore was referring to a wayside chapel, which are very common in Europe. And so the schoolmaster wrote back to the English school teacher the following letter. She said, he said this, Dear Madam, the WC is located nine miles from the apartment in the heart of a beautiful grove of trees. It will seat 150 people at a time and is open Tuesdays, Thursdays and of course Sundays. Some people bring their lunch and make a day of it. On Thursdays, there is an organ accompaniment. The acoustics are very good. The slightest sound can be heard by everyone. It may interest you to know that my daughter met her husband at the WC. We are now in the process of taking donations to purchase plush seats. We feel that it's a long-felt need as the present seats have holes in them. <coughs> My wife, being rather delicate, hasn't been able to attend regularly. It has been some six months since she last went. <laughs> Naturally, this pains her not to go more often. I will close now with a desire to accommodate you in every possible way and will be happy to save you a seat at the WC, either down the front or near the door, as you prefer. You can even sit with me. <laughs> Yours truly, Dr. Wilhelm Ducker. You must be thinking at this moment, what possible reason, or what tenuous link has, got, has Cole got between that illustration and the sermon this morning? Well, in fact, it's quite simple, because this is quite biblical, because Jesus told us to go. We earlier read in the account about the Great Commission in this passage, And here we're told, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Of course, the Great Commission is more famously found in Matthew chapter 28 where it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, the Great Commission is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. John is the most succinct. We find it here in John 20. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You, And the fact that it's included in all the Gospels tells us that the Great Commission is important. It is critical to who we are as Christian believers. In fact, it's even found in the book of Acts. Acts eight. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Five times, then, the Great Commission is found in the Bible. Five times—that's how important it is to us as believers. And it's for this reason, as Baptists, in the Declaration of Principle, it is outlined exactly. The third principle of the Declaration of Principles as Baptists is this: that it's the duty of every disciple to bear personal witness to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world being witnesses, being missionaries, is part of the Christian DNA. It is part of the DNA of being a Baptist believer. What we do, we take the gospel around the world. And we see it in this wonderful passage where we first come upon two men walking and warming. Walking and warming. Luke 24 tells us that famous story on that Easter Sunday of two men making a seven-mile journey down from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. And we're told in verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. These are two men who are on the road of discouragement and the path of disappointment. They just witnessed the end of their faith, Their hero, a rabbi, son of a carpenter Joseph, had been executed by the Roman state, acceding to the cruel demands of their religious leaders. They were leaving Jerusalem deflated. They were leaving Jerusalem disappointed. They were leaving Jerusalem under a dark cloud because they'd reached the end of the road. There was no more rails. They'd hit the buffers. Their faith was dead because their religious leader was dead. Their faith was rotting in the grave along with his body. They were losers. They had nothing. Nothing had been changed and nothing now would be changed because Jesus had been crucified. And these were men walking under the cloud of death with no help and no eternal future. And then something incredible happens. In all that doubt, in all that despair, Jesus joins them along the way. Because that's the kind of Lord he is. He doesn't run away from our despair and our disappointments. He doesn't run away when we're depressed and upset, when we're we're frustrated and angry. He walks alongside us and often we don't even realise he's there. That's the case in this particular story. They thought he was just another pilgrim returning from Jerusalem. And we live in a world of people like these two men, walking through life with nothing but a certainty Disappointment and death. Why do people spend most of their life nowadays looking at a screen? It's because what is on that screen is better than what is out. Not is on that screen, and they on their Facebook have incredible pictures. I have friends in, in Facebook have incredible pictures of themselves on Facebook, but don't correspond to what they look like in real life, because. They don't want people to see them as they really are. They want to live in this unreal world of the smartphone, online, with their online emoji, rather than reality, because reality sucks, because reality is difficult, because reality is dark and disappointing. The famous American founding father, Benjamin Franklin, said this, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death, and taxes well isn't that true death and taxes that's all you've got folks in this world if you walk that world without Jesus Christ only those two certainties yet Jesus walks along such men as these hoping to speak into their lives into their hearts bringing a message of hope and the incredible thing is they didn't realize but they were walking with him but he'd risen as they not yet been given faith for this. Yet they're so struck by his words, that their hearts begin to melt. They say later of this encounter, this, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus was warming the hearts of these men in this journey, in this conversation. And you too can remember times, no doubt, in your faith, when your heart has been warmed by Scripture, by the words, when God has spoken to you in a special way. And we need those times, not just in the early walk, when we first become believers. We need to continue those times through all our walk to make sure when we walk along that road, we're walking in the presence of Jesus, in his company, hearing his conversation. But then they came to their home. They came to their home. And they have been thrilled with his message. Their hearts were warming within them. They came to their home. What do they do? They need to make an invitation. They need to make an invitation. So we're told in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. They'd been touched by Jesus. His words had warmed their hearts. But if they didn't stop to invite him, Jesus would have wandered on, carrying on his journey, because Jesus never gates crashes into any of our lives. God has given us free will. It's one of the wonderful things about being a human being, that you and I are not a robot. You and I are not programmed by God. We are blessed by God. We are spoken to by God. And God wants us to respond naturally. What kind of love Could it be if we were simply programmed to love God and to respond to the beauty of his creation? Respond to the grace he's shown us through Jesus Christ. Those of you who have loved ones in your family, when a family member says to you, I love you, you want it to be natural, don't you? You don't want to leave messages around the home saying, tell me three times a day you love me. Do you do that kind of thing? I certainly don't. When someone tells you they love you, you want that to be something natural, not because you're bullying them into giving that reply, not because you're forcing them to uh, to make that reply, not because you've programmed them or you're playing some kind of mind games with them to get that reply. It's of no value unless it comes from the heart. And Jesus requires us to invite him to stay. He requires us to invite him into our lives. And we're told in this passage They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went on to stay with them. They invited him to stay. This was no polite gesture. It was not an offer for light refreshment, or as we English people do, come in for a cup of tea. This was an invitation to stay the night, to feed and to have more conversation, to share their lives. It was a passionate and earnest request. They urged him or constrained him to stay because the gospel is at work in these two men. Something spiritual is happening and they want more of it. And God wants us to urge his son to stay, urging him to do more in our lives, to be passionate about him passionate about him being in your life not making it something merely polite or something we merely do on sundays jesus needs to be involved in every aspect of our lives so that we can see and reap the benefits of knowing him dearly in all that we do and say jesus allows us to choose whether we want him to stay and have his company and receive his message He never forces himself upon us or into our lives. His message is life-giving. It is life-blessing, life-affirming. But he waits for us to hold on to him and say, Lord, I want more of you. What you've given me so far is great. My heart is warmed. But I want my heart to be red-hot for you, Lord. The amazing thing about this world in which we live is that many people outside of the church are walking away from walking past and don't acknowledge Jesus to be their Lord and Saviour. They think that Christianity is merely a hobby, a lifestyle choice for the gullible and for the religious. They don't realise that they're walking away from life itself, life both now and life forever. And this is a serious situation. As without an invitation to Jesus, they will never know peace. They will never know hope, never know forgiveness. They will die an eternal death. That is serious. Paul writes to the Roman believers this, he says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? They need someone to walk beside them on that journey. Someone to take the time to explain the faith to them. To unfold the scriptures. To explain although Jesus did die on the third day, he rose again. They need to hear and send, and Jesus sends you to walk alongside people upon the road of disappointment. And to share with them the story that God has given you. God has blessed you. It's not about being a theologian. You don't need to be a theologian. Remember when we, we joined, uh, joined the, um, the army as a chaplain and we were posted out to Germany and we got to our street and we were getting to know our neighbours and um, uh, it, it was um, one of our neighbours, our neighbour next door, began to talk to other neighbours and we heard it back from them. But she was so, in, so, so full of wonder because on a, on a meeting I had with her, I told her as I left, God bless you. And she thought this was incredible that someone had said, "God bless me." He said, "God bless me," and she was struck by this. And I meant it genuinely; it wasn't, it wasn't a cliche. I was using it properly. But that simple phrase had a profound impact upon her because no one else had said that God uh, would bless her. You have so much; God has given you so much. Your understanding of Scripture, in comparison to those who don't know the Lord, is vast. You don't know; it need a degree to share the gospel. You just need a heart. God has given you a story. And Jesus said this, he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And so we see these two men in this encounter, then they're, they're moving to running and reaching, running and reaching. Because Jesus accepts the invitation and stays with them. Come into their home, so the conversation continues. Still they are unaware that this is the Son of God, their guest. It's only when he does something very familiar that suddenly the penny drops, and we are told in verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What was it that opened their eyes? The receiving of bread, the breaking of bread and the giving thanks, which in fact was the host's role and somehow Jesus had been given this special honour. And suddenly as he took the bread and he broke it, at that point of breaking, suddenly they realised just whose hands they were that was breaking the bread. Suddenly perhaps their mind went back to the the time beside Galilee when Jesus had fed 5,000 people by breaking bread. Perhaps it was that they'd heard the story on the Last Supper told by the 12 disciples and they were clearly knew the 12 disciples well because they were able to go straight from this place and run right back to Jerusalem to where the 12 disciples were. They'd heard about the fact before he was betrayed, Jesus had took bread and he had said these words. Jesus took bread and when he gave given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body. Perhaps as he broke that bread, they saw his body broken upon the cross. Perhaps they may even have seen the nail prints in his hand. But at that point, their eyes were opened and they saw just who he was. At that very point, at that very point of revelation, then Jesus disappears. It's interesting to see that even the early disciples Needed to live by faith, because at the point they realised who he was, he disappeared. They'd seen him alive, and the miracle in this story is not that he disappears in front of their faith, in front of their faces. The miracle is he actually walked with them those miles coming down from Jerusalem and shared their depressed lives along that road. Jesus was alive. And that revelation was so great, we're told that they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and say, It is true, the Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. They got up at once. The weariness of that seven-mile journey, the fact it was the evening, the fact it was getting dark, the fact their bodies were tired, was suddenly evaporated in the reality of realizing that Jesus is alive. And so they, without even thinking about it, without eating the meal, they get up at once and return back to Jerusalem. And there's a reason for that, because their message is vital. Their message needs to be heard. Their message is urgent, because the Isaiah the prophet tells us, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned, but many people in our world today, 2,000 years after that light appeared, do not acknowledge that light. They still walk in darkness, and they are still walking towards an eternal death. And we need to share the message that God has given us with them. Share the light, because you are the torchbearers. You need to get out there and let your light shine. To walk among the people, as Jesus did, on the way to Emmaus. To open the Bible to them. To let them hear about the light of the world. Our message is death is defeated. We no longer need to fear death. As Paul writes in Corinthians, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a message. The world doesn't have it, it doesn't have the light. It's on the road to death, and you and I are the ones who can stop that process and bring light and joy and health and eternal future to their lives. The Bible's clear. The wages of sin is death. Those who don't acknowledge God, who carry on in a life of sin, will die the eternal death. We have a message, and we need to bring that message to the people. And the message is mentioned in here it's a message of new life, verse 46. He told them, This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. It's a message of repentance. It's not enough to simply hear the message. We must be changed by the message. Jesus said, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. So it's a message of forgiveness. That when we repent and turn away, we will be forgiven. Jesus offers a new start. An eternal future that starts the moment you begin to walk with him. And what's more, it's a message for all. It's a message for all. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. It's not limited to colour, to culture, to accent, to intelligence, to gender or anything else. It is a message for all. Everyone on this planet needs to hear this message. It doesn't discriminate. It's an open message, a universal message to everyone. And if you struggle perhaps to witness, then perhaps it's because you lack that joy these early believers had. We're told it's an amazing message. And it says in verse 41 this, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Over joy they must have felt. These two men have been walking from Jerusalem depressed and suddenly realise for most of those miles Jesus was there walking with them. He is alive. And when they get back to Jerusalem they're standing there amazed. Why? Because Jesus has appeared to Simon. To Simon Peter. Jesus was alive. And while we discussing this, what happens? Jesus appears in their midst. He's there alive in front of them. They believe it but can't believe it. It's impossible. It has never happened before. They have a mixture of joy and amazement and even doubt. And isn't that the Christian experience in the 21st century? Don't we have joy and amazement and doubt? And yet we've got to fire up that joy to move us out of the pews, to move us out of our homes, to move us into our community. To share the gospel. What does the prophet Nehemiah say? That wonderful expression, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If we really get it, that Jesus is alive, that He's overcome death, we've got a wonderful message. We're not sharing bad news, we're sharing good news. Joy is essential. The Reverend Samuel Shoemaker said this, The surest mark of a Christian is not faith or even love, but joy. Joy, the deep, recollect- uh, the deep acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, but he has overcome death. The French novelist, Leon Blois, said this, Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy is something that God gives. It's a deep faith, and it encourages us to share the truth. Joy that helps us walk back to Jerusalem quickly and in in haste. And so finally in this passage we see this, waiting and witnessing. The whole passage closes with Jesus telling his disciples not to go out immediately, but to wait for something, something that God has promised. He says I'm going to share with you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high and this of course is referring to the holy spirit that comes 50 days later at the day of pentecost but note this is a promise if god gives a promise to his people god always delivers on his promises and of course we are post pentecostal christians we are post pentecost christians We have received the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ came into us when we came to believe. But we need more of that Spirit if we're to be faithful missionaries of the gospel. He says the source is power from on high. You know, if you feel weak about sharing your faith with those at work or those around your community, it's often because you look at yourself. You say, I'm not good enough, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not J. John, I'm not Billy Graham, I'm not Louis Palau, I'm Cole Maynard, I haven't got the ability, I haven't got the skill. And you are right. You're right in the sense you're not great uh, J. John and you're not Billy Graham and you're not Louis Palau. You're absolutely right. But the Great Commission isn't for J. John or just for Billy Graham or just for Louis Palau. The Great Commission is great because it's for everyone. And as you look to yourself for the resources, you're right, you haven't got those resources. So Jesus said, you'll receive power from where? On high, above you. That's where the power comes from. It doesn't come from you, it comes from there. It comes from relying upon God and taking that leap of faith to share your story. And Jesus made it quite clear. He said this, you're witnesses of these things didn't say you're all evangelists. Evangelism is a gift, it's a skill. You're all witnesses. You're not all evangelists. You're not all pastors. You have different gifts. But you are all witnesses. And how simple it is to be a witness. What does a witness do? You see a crime, you see a situation, a witness just testifies to what they've seen. That's what a witness does. A witness mustn't make it up. A witness doesn't need to read loads of books about how to be a witness. A witness doesn't need to be skilled or schooled by a lawyer or a magistrate. A witness just swears on the truth and tells the story as they saw it. What's in all? People don't want to hear embellished stories about Jesus. I've read some books about uh, conversions that make you wonder sometimes, you know, if that, all, if that story is all true. Because sometimes people tell you, well, Christians get exaggerate, don't they? You don't need to exaggerate. You've got a story. God has given each one of you a story. What God has been doing in your life, both years ago and now. And that's how you witness. You share your story. That's how we are missionaries. To share our story, to talk about what we have seen and what we have heard. To explain that even though you're a person who's not perfect, you haven't got all the answers. In fact, you find it struggle. You struggle sometimes to pray. You may even make a promise to get up early some mornings and you don't because you fall back asleep. You may find your mind wanders when you read the Bible sometimes. You may find that you don't always get engaged in in the hymns and the choruses. And sometimes when the chorus is going on, you're thinking about something else. That's quite natural. But you have a story to tell. Jesus is alive. Jesus has given you hope. Jesus has forgiven you your sins Jesus has reconciled you to God Jesus has given you a hope that when you die you, in an instant you will be changed and given a new body a body like Jesus a body somehow that can even walk through walls I don't understand all that but I believe it because I know in my heart Jesus has walked with me in good times and bad times in happy times and depressed times he's walked with me and he knows me and he's given me a story, and he's given you a story. We've just got to share it with other people. It's not rocket science, CBC, it really isn't. It's difficult, it can be scary, but we look above for power from on high, and we share the joy that God has given us, because that is our strength, when we realise we have a message that's good news, a message the world needs Here. Can I encourage those who are helping with communion to come down the front, please? Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was at that point of the breaking of bread that the road, the clear pass, and his colleague realized that Jesus is alive. The same after supper, Jesus lifted the cup, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed for you. We have a story to tell.